second scripture to read. Um, while we were men were praying back there, this scripture came to mind before our first worship song. For we ourselves, this is in Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's, this is, we, we're going to have a little fellowship um, afterwards, and one of the songs uh, pulled out was an old Andre Crouch song. I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why Jesus cared. I don't know why Jesus, he had to sacrifice his life, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad he did. So praise God that he helps us to forget the, the pain of the past. But we shouldn't forget, in one sense, where the Lord took us from. Um, while Miss Kayla is playing on that F, I, I've been thinking about something this week. And after we sing this first song, we're going we're to revisit that, that chord. Um, so be prepared. <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> of the air no hope no god i was lost in despair but god it was you enslaved by passions of body and mind my eyes were open but i was so blind but god there was you but god there was you Die every 
Play that F, uh, Miss Kayla. Before our um, time of um, rehearsal, we had a little uh, practice within the practice. <laughs> now, um, I was listening to a podcast. I'll make this real quick. I was listening to a podcast, a Christian podcast, and uh, the brother was talking about him being, he's a worship leader, and he was um, been to Thailand or Burma, I forget which country he was in, and the church in which he was in, um, the songs wasn't the worship. The songs were the lead up to the worship. And in between the songs, this church broke out in spontaneous eruption of worship in between the songs. 
So the songs were like, I guess the words and stuff led to the heart being open. But the worship is when the people opened their mouths and communicated with the living God. And that hit me between the eyes. I've experienced it. I, you know, I come from a <laughs> charismatic background, even though I'm the most uncharismatic person you could meet. Uh, <laughs> um, if you need a nap, just let me talk to you for a few minutes. If you have insomnia, just hang around me. I'll be laid out in a minute or two. But um, the Holy Spirit is very exciting. And um, I didn't know how to approach this, but I saw the, that type of worship. Maybe some of you attended fellowships where there wasn't any worship like that. It could be very unfamiliar, and, and some people get very intimidated by that. And the Holy Spirit moves in different ways. Some people are very quiet. Some people um, they have physical issues and limitations to what they can do. But there's patterns that you see in the Bible. You do see examples of people lifting up their hands. Sometimes they stand. Sometimes they kneel. But they're never quiet. It doesn't say they yell and shout it. Actually, there are times that it said they did shout <laughs> when the glory of the Lord came. But there was always an expression of worship. So we're just going to play on this chord for a little while and some things that will help you and help us and help me. When I praise and worship, I think of words that describe the very character of God. I'm going to say a few, and I want you in your heart to say a few. So if you could close your eyes. Lift up your hands. You have to lift them up high. If you want to lift them up high, you can lift them up high. But I'm going to say you are good. You are wonderful. I thank you for your marvelous love. And your kindness. And your mercies never cease. I bless you, Lord, because you have blessed me so much. And I want you to do that. Whatever words come into your heart, just say it to him. Just tell him how good he is to you. How holy he is. If you want to sing it out, sing it out with this chord that we're playing and sing it to him and tell how much you love him how good he is.
Thank you. Thank you, family. Be in that practice of doing that at home, in your car. You'll be amazed. When you delight yourself in the Lord, what starts to happen? How much you start looking like him. You know, they say married couples. You know where I'm going. <laughs> Wind up looking at it like each other after a while. But me, <laughs> that's right. So um, that's an encouragement. The more you worship him and s- love him, you'll start looking like him. People will say, man, you used to fly off the handle. Why are you so calm now? <laughs> they say, I look like my, I've been looking in the mirror. I've been seeing him. I've been looking at his mirror and I've been looking at his face and I'm starting to look like him. There's an earthquake. <laughs> Why are you standing still? There's turbulence on the plane. How come you're not screaming in assuming crash position? I am. I'm in his presence. Hallelujah. Receive praise, praise. 
more hiding away from you for you surround me with kindness and truth you went beyond my failures and you saw my need sailed my sin and to an empty sea jesus i give myself to you showed me grace and proved your love by dying in my place from the cross to the grave and now alive I say thanks by giving you my life Jesus I give myself to you no Jesus, 
I give myself to you. One more time. Jesus. 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 I give myself to you. Jesus. 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 I give myself to you. Welcome, brethren, to the house of our Lord, God, and Creator. Those of you at home visit us on, on the web, we bid you welcome. If you have the elements of bread and juice of the grape, we invite you to join us in celebration of our Lord Jesus Christ as we not all now come forward to pick up the elements of celebration and remembrance. In reading Malachi chapter 3, one finds both the prediction of Christ's mission in reference to man's, mankind's needs and that his right of authority is confirmed by the fact that he is the risen son of the living God. In this chapter, Christ is referred to as full of soap and to refine his fire. Now, full of soap is used to cleanse and whiten wool to make it acceptable for final dyeing, processing, and use. The refinest fire is in reference to the process of heating metal so that the baser impure elements can float to the top and be eliminated from the metal, purifying it, thus make it, it acceptable for its final use. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, Malachi's prophecy about Jesus poses a question that points out that man is unworthy to stand before Christ. It reads thus, But who may abide, and who shall stand the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refined fire, and like full of soap. Malachi also foretold that Jesus would fulfill the promise of mankind's salvation. In verse 3 he states, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. In this chapter, one also finds the admonitions laid out against those who cast doubt about the very existence of the one true God by their blasphemous actions and words. It does not differentiate between those who actually deny God's existence and those who bend God's word to their purpose. For both deny God's sovereignty by right of their self-serving actions. 
It also sheds light on the fact that they reap the rewards of this earth with apparent authority, taking what belongs to others deceitfully. They even use the tithe belonging to God as their own for their own personal benefit, as all the while they feather their own nests at the expense of others. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, we read in this prophecy first a description of Christ. Verse 6 reads, For the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. And second, we find a description of priestly duties in verse 7. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should keep the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And third, we find a description of the actual actions in verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way, ye have caused many to stumble at the law, ye have corrupted the covenant, and Levi, saith the Lord God of hosts. They are charged with their crimes by God himself. And fourth, we find the consequences of their betrayal of their duties to God. As verse 9 points out, Therefore I have made you contemptible and base before all of the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. In this Malachi, as the Lord's prophet pointed out, that God recognized many of the religious leadership claiming spiritual, spiritual authority were in fact corrupt. They applied so-called sacred law for the people of the congregation to follow that they themselves quite often ignored. And later Jesus himself points this out as found in Matthew chapters 12, verses 3, uh, I'm sorry, verse 34, and John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44. It is recorded that he even called them vipers and sons of the devil. In this, Jesus acknowledged their true spiritual status as the base metal that has to be skimmed off the purified final products that are the sons of God. We who follow Christ, we who adhere to his precepts and with love honor his existence and his word, are the precious ones of salvation in the process of purification. In us, once we are refined, can be found the purified precious metal that God intended us to be before corruption contaminated us. Rejoice in the trials we find in our lives, for they are part of the purification process we undergo in order to gain that eternal life. Hand them over to God in Christ Jesus, for he is more than capable of handling them for us. This does not mean that he will take them away. He might. But it does mean that he will be with us and see us through our problems with patience for as long as a problem continues. As a living, full of soap, he, though brainless, underwent the refiner's fire on the cross for us so we wouldn't have to. He was forcefully charged for crimes which were not his to bear, taking to the cross all of our crimes as his own. 
He was, in fact, the lamb for sinners slain. He was, as always, pure and blameless as only God can be. It was this purity that gave his sacrifice so much power. In Luke chapter 22, verse 21, at that last supper, he predicted his betrayal, saying, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me at the table. His predicted arrest was recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. They then took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. His predicted crucifixion, as foretold, is indicated in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. That Christ forewarned his disciples of his event is indicated in Luke chapter 22, verse 19 and 20. It is indicated that he stated, oh boy, pardon me, folks. It's indicated that he stated, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And verse 20 reads, Likewise, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Our trials in this life may seem truly enormous, but they are in fact finite. One way or another, all things in this life come to an end. They may be our crucial for a time, but they do come to an end. Jesus Christ is our refiner's fire and our fuller soap. In him we are purified, and by him we are made worthy to be called children of God. The first orders, thou shalt love, uh, pardon me, we have but to trust and obey by actively following the two believers' commandments of salvation as given by Jesus Christ himself. The first orders, thou shalt love thy God, with thy whole mind, thy whole heart, and thy whole soul. And this second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as I have loved you. Christ proved his love for us on the pillory and the cross with his life's blood and his authority over all things with his resurrection, thereby paying salvation's price so that we could be reconciled with God, our Father, our Creator. Be sanctified in God's grace that you may be purified in accordance with his will and live according to his word as children of God. And as always, may God bless you and all whom you love. 
In Jesus' name, I pray. Reads from uh, scripture reads from Hebrews chapter eleven verses one three and six one through three and six. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You may be seated and we can dismiss our children. Good morning. morning. Welcome. Thank you, Tony, for that time as we come together to the Lord's table and and worship together with communion. We're going to continue our study in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll open to Judges chapter 6, we'll pick up at verse 33. And we're going to cover also into chapter 7 this morning. And our title this morning is His Mercy, His Sovereignty, and his glory father we thank you for the word we thank you for the time that we have together to study your word and we ask in the name of jesus that you open our ears open our hearts open our minds to receive all that you have for us lord we know that it's your word that 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 we feast upon it's what sustains us as growing believers we need it and we need to hear it and do we not only need to hear it we need to act upon it we need to be doers of the word not hearers only So give us that encouragement this morning to grasp every nugget that you have for us. May we write it upon the table of our heart. And may we walk in the fullness of who you are and what you have for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in our last study in Judges, we saw that the angel of the Lord came and he told Gideon that he had chosen him to be the next judge. Now Gideon didn't see himself as the one. Because he was the weakest in his clan, the smallest. The, he just didn't seem significant. He didn't see what God was actually seeing in him. And he questioned God about it. But you can't run from God. If he's called you, he's going to work through you. And this is a very important point for us this morning to grab a hold of, that when he calls, you know. You may not want the call. You may try to push the call away. You may say, no, it's got to be somebody else. But if it's the Holy Spirit touching your heart and saying, you, I have called you, you can't run from that. He will accomplish the call. He will complete the call. And we have that promise to us as well. Philippians 1 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what this tells us is that it's all in his hands. 
He's the one that calls. He's the one that does the work. And he's the one faithful to complete the work. For us, all we have to do is be obedient. To say yes. That's the hardest step. The hardest step is to say yes. Because there's many times when yes is the last thing we want to say. Well, what does it mean? See, God doesn't always tell you everything up front, does he? He doesn't fill in all the blanks. So what happens is, is that he will say, I'm calling you, and you'll say, well, I want the whole thing. Write it out for me. Give me all the details before I say yes. And that's not acceptable to God because that's not faith. What God says is, no, you trust me because you're not going to do anything but be a willing vessel anyway. All you're going to do is what I tell you to do. And when that takes place, God's work is complete. God's work is going to be complete. So again, all we're responsible to do is to say yes. Be a usable, willing vessel. Now Gideon needed to confirm that this was actually God speaking to him. So he asked for a sign. Hey, wait here. If you're really the Lord, if you're really telling me this, wait here till I go and prepare a sacrifice and I'll come back. The Lord was very generous and patient with him. He waited while he prepared the offering. And we're going to see this week that Gideon still needs more assurance from the Lord before he moves forward into battle. And God, knowing his heart, patiently walks Gideon through his lack of belief or his lack of understanding or his doubt. He walks him through those doubts and fears. But ultimately, he had to come to the place, as we do, where we're willing to be used when the Lord calls. And we can't always wait. This was an important part of last week. We can't wait for somebody else to be called, and then we jump on the bandwagon. If you want revival, look to your own heart. Put it before Jesus and say, Jesus, revive me. Revive me so that I can be available. I may not be leading it, but I want to be a part of it. But who knows? Maybe you are the one that's going to lead it. See, God looks to the, to the simple. He doesn't look to the most educated. He doesn't look to the handsomest and the prettiest. He doesn't look to the wealthy. He looks to those whose heart is right for him. That's all that's important to God. And so it doesn't matter who we are, where we come from, what we look like. What it matters is to us to come to that place to say, I trust you. If you're raising me up, I want to be available. I just want to be where you want me to be. So we're going to pick up here. In verse 33 this morning in Judges chapter 6. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together. And they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So important for us to grasp that. Today we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. In this case, the Holy Spirit was sent and came upon Gideon. And he blew the trumpet and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers, messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on it, or on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you have said. In verse 38, and it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. 
And then verse 39, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So Gideon, we see, is is having his doubts, he's having his concerns, he wants to have these signs, he wants to have confirmation, but he has taken his first step of faith by blowing the trumpet. After the first sign, and after all that was proven to him, he blows the trumpet, that's big for him. He says, yes, I will go, I will blow this trumpet. And when he saw all of these Midianites and Amalekites crossing the river, see, they were getting ready to, to swarm again. Remember what we read earlier? Their camels and the people were without number. There were just mass, mass army of people. And they would come in, and they would just raid the villages and raid everything and take the food and destroy everything in the path. And so all of these people now are lining up. So he blows the trumpet, and first we see, we see the Abyssalites gather. Now the Abyssalites were the descendants of, of Abizar, the son of Gilead. Joash and Gideon were members of this clan from the tribe of Manasseh. So this was all part of the tribe of Manasseh, and these were people, the Abizarites uh, were in that tribe. And then we see others from the tribes of Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. They also come to fight. A total of 32,000 men show up, as we're going to see in a few minutes. Now, this should have been enough to encourage him, shouldn't it? I mean, think about it. He blows the trumpet, and all of a sudden, everybody's piling in behind him. Wow, this is good. This is great. Now we're ready to go. He's seeing all these people. But Gideon still needs more. He still needs more, so he comes with the fleece, not once, but twice. Now, this is interesting to me because with Gideon, God didn't get angry. God didn't condemn him. God had a plan. He knew Gideon's heart from day one. God was patient, and he responded by giving Gideon exactly what he needed to believe. And God showed the same grace toward Abraham and Sarah when they laughed. When God told Sarah that she would have a son, she laughed and then lied about laughing. That's You'd get into the danger zone, wouldn't you think? Genesis 17, verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And then in Genesis 18, 12 through 15, it's Sarah's turn. She says, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, by being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Oh, can we take those words and apply it today? In this fallen, broken world, is there anything too hard for Him? No, there's nothing too hard for Him. And at a point in time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> now, again, this is not a place I want to find myself denying God and then lying about it. But this is the grace and the mercy that God had for them. 
There are no consequences for the lack of belief or doubts. But I do want to fast forward here. We look at Zacharias. Now, Zacharias in the New Testament, the father to be of John, Gabriel the angel came and told him that he and Elizabeth would have a son and would call him John. Luke 1, 13 through 20. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, the wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will receive, rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom uh, to the wisdoms of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you by, and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So now we see a different reaction here. The same doubt, I'm old, how's this going to happen? But Gabriel, who was sent by God, actually told him, because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak. You're going to be mute until the child is born. And one might say that, well, this was the angel Gabriel, and he punished Zacharias, where it's the Lord who spoke to Gideon and Abraham and Sarah. This is true, but we have to understand that angels are servants. They do what they're told. They do what they, t they were told. He would not have spoken this if God himself hadn't told him to. This is still coming from the Lord. Now, Zacharias' punishment wasn't great, but his unbelief did cost him something up front. Now, what this tells us here is we serve a merciful God, but we also serve a sovereign God. God knows the heart. God knows what's going on within the heart. God knows what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So you can look in the Scripture and say, well, God had mercy and grace, so he's all merciful and all grace only. Or you can look and say, oh, God's a God of judgment, and he's all a God of judgment only. And this is where we miss understanding who God is. In our finite minds, we cannot assign one attribute that defines God. There are many attributes that define God. And they're all perfect because he's a perfect God. But the difference is, is that we get a little thing going on over here in our own mind and want to create this box to put God in. And God says, I ain't staying there. I'm a God well beyond your understanding. So while I may be merciful here, I may not be here. While I may bring judgment here, I may not hear. But this is God's decision. And we as believers need to come to the point of understanding that we need to be in relationship with this God through Jesus Christ so that whatever he does, whenever he does, we can say, your will be done. And not try to defend or argue or get upset because we didn't get the result or God didn't move the way we thought it was going to move. He brought judgment or he brought a consequence, whereas over here he didn't. Who are we to say? He's God. In Romans 9, 15, 
uh, he says this, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I will have compassion. Now, if this is true, then the opposite is also true. He will not show mercy to whomever he will not show mercy. And again, God knows the heart, and it's not about fairness. Our culture today is all about fairness, and they're the most unfair people in the world. They're only fair to whoever agrees with them. If you disagree with the culture and the movements, then you're, you're not treated fairly. You're censored. You're cut off of different places. You can't say it here. You can't say it there. You can't shop here. You can't shop there. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then you have someone who disagrees in a culture movement says, no, I can't do this because my God says this is not uh, according to his plan, according to his will. What do they do? They sue you and try to shut your businesses down because you're not walking the way the culture's walking. So there, you want to talk about unfairness. It's out there, but it's opposite of what's being spoken today. God is always fair, but he's a perfect God. So his fairness only is justified by himself. We can't determine it. And so we have to grab a hold of that. We have to understand that. And I wanted to go through all of this because we see Gideon here. God allows him in his mercy to put this fleece out He gives twice. And he gives him the answer he needs in order to go to battle. So now these signs have been, been asked for. These signs have been given. And now Gideon's ready to go. In Judges 7, verses 1 and 2, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, I'm sure this isn't what Gideon wanted to hear. <laughs> he's got now, he's, he's blew the trumpet. 32,000 people show up. Man, we're ready to go. We've got an army. Now, you have to also remember this, too. He probably thought that his army was too small. He was ready to go now, but he knew he only had 32,000 men. They had thousands and thousands and thousands encamped. So in his mind, he says, I know you've said it. You've proved it. We're going to go. And then God comes in and says, but you got too many. This, I'm sure, again, would be very, very confusing to him. And just to go back in Judges 6, 5 is where we find it. They said they would come up with their livestock. This is the Midianites and their tents coming as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. This is what Gideon is facing. And he says, okay, God, you've given me my army. We're ready to go. And God says, no, you've got to cut back. We're going through cutbacks. Wow. I mean, put ourselves into that position. Think about how we would respond. How do we respond today when we have a bad day? How do we respond today when we feel like we've got this wave coming at us and we've seen God move over and over and over and over again, but yet we still say, God, why? Why is this happening? What's going on? I can't handle this. I don't want to go through this. This is how 
we respond as believers today. And here's Gideon actually going into a real battle with real weapons, with a real army, and God says, but you're too big. Maybe, think about this for a moment, maybe this trial that you're in today, you're trying to fight it, and he says, you're too big. You need to be cut down. Take yourself out of it and let me have it. Therefore, I can work in it and I can accomplish it. But if we're going to stand there with our sword and our mouth, and we're going to say this, that, and the other, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, or even if we silently say, okay, Lord, your will be done, but then we sneak around him and try to do something over here to fix our problem, or sneak over here to try, then we're cutting him off and saying, no, we're still trying to be in control. That means you're too big for your britches. If he can cut down an army of 32,000, he will cut your legs out from India. If he needs to get you to a place to trust him, Trust him. It took three signs to get him to go. God says you've got too many. And I'm surprised after this he didn't ask for more signs. <laughs> okay, God, if this is really you, I need a couple of more signs here. But it tells us a couple of things from God's perspective. First, he knows Israel. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their sinful pride and behavior. If they had went in with all these soldiers, they would have somehow come out and said it. They did it themselves. Look what we accomplished. And I've heard that too from people who God has miraculously delivered from a horrible situation. And somehow or the other, well, it all worked out. I did this and this is what happened. Or this is what I did. and this. No, they don't give God the glory. And think about when Jesus was healing and the ten lepers came, and he delivered them from that horrible sickness of death. And only one came back to give him glory. The others went on about their lives. Hey, I can go home now. I'm not a leper anymore. I can do this. I can do that. All about them. The one leper came back and said, it's all about you, Jesus. This is so important in our relationship with Jesus Christ is to understand it's always all about Him. It's always all about Him. Now there are some today, again, when they can't comprehend this. The same God that does signs and wonders, that miraculously delivers His people and has delivered them, He will do the same for you today. I've heard it again, people praying, God, do this and do that. And when He does, it's a coincidence. Or try to scientifically explain how someone was healed. You can't say how, some, how somebody's healed. If they're, if they're deemed with an, an illness and the next time they go, well, they go and they pray and they go back and the doctor says, ain't nothing here. That's not science. That's the hand of God. And we need to give him the glory. Not trying to explain godly things in human ways. We can't. Give him the glory. And Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If that's the truth, we either believe it or we don't. But God wants to show his power. He wants to show his glory. He wants to show that, it, that we do not have any doubt in him when we get ourselves out of the way. This is what he wants to give us today. He wants us to give us this. It's not a matter of not having enough faith. It's a matter of us just saying, no, I don't want to believe it because I'm just too scared. I'm afraid. I don't want to go through this at all. Just get me out of it. 
rather than get me through it. Many times we're in the situations we're in, not always by our own hand. I'd say a big percentage of them. Consequences of our own actions. Sometimes it's consequences of other people's actions. And we want to say, well, I didn't do this. Why am I in it? Rather than asking that question, we need to come to the place and say, Jesus, reveal yourself in this to me so that I have you to hang on to. And if I stay in it, I've got you. If I'm out of it, I've still got you. Either way, it's all about you. It's not about me. Now, God is to be glorified. This is the next point here in all things. And if we see his people cannot lose sight of this. He's a jealous God, and nothing in our lives should be above him. Nothing. He was trying to bring that to Israel's attention. If you do this, and I leave this army, it's all going to be about you, and you're going to be worshiping yourselves or giving yourselves glory, denying me. Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now Tony in his uh, communion service told us what our commandments are. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as he has loved us. This is the thing that we have to grab a hold of. We don't have to live under the, the law. We live in the law of love. In the law of love and mercy and grace, Jesus came because we within ourselves couldn't save ourselves. Not one good deed within any of us could get us to heaven. We're born with a sinful nature. And we build upon it. But Jesus delivers us from the law of sin and death. So because we have him, now we can stand in his presence in a holy God. And he sees us that way. The Father sees us covered. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And we are right in his eyes. Now Daniel seven fourteen says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is the kingdom of God, and this is what we have today. Now many will say, well, we don't have the kingdom of God yet. That's when we get to heaven. Not according to Jesus. He said the kingdom of God is here. And he is the kingdom of God. In relationship with him, we are in the kingdom of God. We have that door right now. And this, again, is a blinded area for many today. They don't see that we actually have access to the fullness of God right now. They want to wait till we get to heaven. I don't want to wait. We're missing out on so much of who he is and how, he, how, how powerful he is and how marvelous he is because we're denying him. And we're not allowing him to have our whole heart. We just want to call on his name to have a little fire insurance. Or we just want to say we're saved. So that's the thing to say. Or we might go to church every Sunday. Doesn't cut it. Going to church is not going to save you. Sitting in a church service every Sunday won't get you any points to God. 
What will get you in heaven is to say, I am a sinner. I recognize I'm a sinner. I need a deliverer. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Therefore, I receive him. I walk in him. And I am now free from eternal damnation. I am free to walk out my salvation. And I'm here to gain what he has for me today. We have that access. In Romans 1, 20 through 22, For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. These are the ones who refuse to accept the reality of God, even though his attributes are clearly seen. I'm sorry, but it takes more faith for an atheist than it does one who believes in Jesus Christ. Because you're going against every bit of science if you're an atheist to say, oh, this just happened. This just blew up one day and here we are. Now, I think Jennifer in her substitute class that one day was in evolution, they said, what, the, was a big egg that exploded? Cosmic egg is what they're calling it now. Well, where was the chicken? Was it, which came first, the cosmic chicken or the cosmic egg? You know, same questions. They just, you know, just change their wording around and spew out the same garbage. God spoke it. It, was, it existed. That's the way it is. In Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. This is the foundation of our faith. In the beginning, God. You stop right there, really. If you go beyond that, you don't accept that first phrase, in the beginning, God, then no matter where you go in the Bible, it's not going to make any sense to you. Because you're still trying to deny God or say it doesn't exist, or say there's got to be another way, and maybe you want to pick and choose some good little nuggets out of the Bible because that's what people today in the and some of these movements are doing. This coexist movement is oh, we'll take all the positive stuff out of out of every religion, and they'll quote this and they'll quote that and they'll say this and they'll quote that, but they don't believe that God is the one who initiated it. They don't believe that God is the one who put everything into perspective and created it all. And I truly believe. And sometimes we don't see God moving in miraculous ways because of two things. And you can put subheadings and subtitles and create more, but one is unbelief. We just don't believe. Gideon didn't believe. What was the first thing he said when the angel of the Lord appeared to him? He said, why haven't we seen God move like he did back with Moses? All the, mir the miracles and the wonderful signs and wonders. Why is God not doing it? And God specifically said, he didn't answer that question. What he said was, have I not called you? Have I not called you? See, people want to see God doing all the work, and he has. He's done all the work. All we have to do is just abide in him, and that work then flows through us, but the problem is, is that we still want to see it happen somewhere else. We don't want it flowing through us because then we have to be accountable. And accountability is lacking in our culture big time today. It's missing. And the second reason 
that we don't see a lot of miraculous things happening is because he knows that somehow we'll try to take credit for it. We're going to get in his way and say, oh, that wasn't really God. Or, yeah, God helped. God helped with this. Listen, the old phrase that, you know, God is my co-pilot, you need to get out of the seat and change seats right off the bat. You do not need to be in the driver's seat or the pilot's seat. You're not even really the co-pilot. You're just a vet. You're the plane. And he's using that plane to go where he wants to go and do what he wants to do. But he's driving it. He's doing it all. It's all about him. Now Gideon was growing in his faith. He was growing in his faith. And he has called for an army. But God whittles it down. So he will be glorified. 